Hey, what's going on, motivators? Dr. Drill with the Making Motivation Podcast. It is... <clears throat> it is... April 29th, or maybe even the 30th of April. Because, yeah, that's about right, because May 2nd is Sunday? And that might be a day off, who fucking cares, right? It's Friday. And I'm not going to be waiting for this goddamn train, I'll tell you that right now. So I think I'm going to have to do a little right turn here. It is uh, 3.38 on, the, on, we'll say, the, the 30th of April, leaving the office after a busy day. You know, it, it was only 13 patients, but started at 8.30 this morning, so I woke up at 7, tired as shit. Um, towards the end of these weeks, you know, I, I get a little chewed up. You know, I find my rhythm, absolutely. I drive on, absolutely. I help, certainly. I put my, my physical and mental faculties out there to try to heal other people. That's my job, and I love it. And I got a lot to talk about. It gives me so many stories, you know. I learn something new every day. My new thing is, and I've asked people, I've mentioned this maybe before, but I I try to learn something new every day. So if, if there's, I know that each and every person that I encounter knows something or has, has had an experience that I would wonder at, that I would find interesting. And so, um, maybe something they could teach me, something I can learn from. Okay, give a little shout out to my man Chuck here. Hold on. There he was pulling down his little his little screen at his front door. He's a good man, Chuck. Chuck Martinelli. Good friend of mine. My friend Coop. Kathy Cooper. Kathy Martinelli lives there. So anyway, here I am. It's a sunny day, Friday afternoon, 3.40 p.m. And uh, been a busy day, been a busy week. Mostly good. You know, there's op as I as I say, and and you know full well, there are obstacles that present themselves. That's what obstacles do. Things get in the way. You know, nothing's going to go perfectly. And while we bitch and moan about these things to varying degrees, listen, that's that's just life. Life would be boring, really, if not for these obstacles. That you know, and you say, well, I would welcome any sort of problems. Certainly not. You know, you know, it's not a good thing when you run into a. a roadblock or some sort of challenge in the week or some stress, but it passes the time because then you have to, it gives you an opportunity to rise above and solve that problem and do the right thing. And, and when you do, that is what is fulfilling. When somebody comes to you with a, an issue, a problem that you can solve and you help them. You know, to the degree that you can. That's an awesome thing. That leaves you feeling good. And so there's no short, you know, quantity of that occurring in healthy balance. So that's wonderful. So I want to tell you a story on this Friday afternoon. Um, I've talked about 
a lot of things, right? I talked about interpersonal stuff and family and friends and uh, communication and helping people and all that stuff. And that's always a common theme with me because that's what I do. I help people for a living. And all of us do, you know, to some extent. Um, my fam, my sister reached out to me. Okay, told me a story. Uh, you know, informed me that my father, who is seventy-five years old, and who's unfortunately had some health concerns, as people who are seventy-five tend to, you know, tends to occur in that age group. Um, my dad's a great man, awesome fellow, funny as shit great storyteller, hard worker, did so much for me, he's just, he's a wonderful person, and I, I've always wanted to, you know, candidly, I've always wanted to become closer to my father, because I've always respected him, I think he's, he's not, he's not, not perfect, but he was a good dad growing up, and he, 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 he helped me in a lot of ways, and, uh, in many respects, I am identical to him. My voice, my stature, my humor, my storytelling, it all comes straight from my father. So he made a huge impression on me, and I would hope that everyone would have uh, somebody like him as a father figure, a mentor. But I've always wanted to be closer with him, and he's kind of like this stoic guy. Um, we used to call him like German, the German in him, assuming that it came from his his paternal or wherever it came from, his his upbringing, um, it was like this stoicism, like, I'm not going to admit that there's any problems, and I'm not going to, you know, um, I don't want to show my, um, my emotion about these situations, so he wasn't always the most emotionally available guy, he was kind of like just a quiet dude, I mean, he had a big, huge heart, I think he's actually a very emotional person. But I was never, um, we were men, you know, and he wanted me to be strong, capable man. And, uh, he, but I, he was and is, but he, he's a very sensitive guy too. And I just, I guess I'm just a little frustrated that he, people didn't get to see that side as much. Um, anyway, my father worked for 35 years as a lineman. Uh, he worked for Jersey Central Power and Light. So these are the guys that drive around the big trucks and um, put back up telephone poles and downed wires and storms and stuff. So he, his life consisted of that. Showing up at the shop, driving around the truck, somebody hits a pole, drunk driver hits a pole, goes and fixes that, gets your power back up, um, stuff like that. He used to go on things called call-outs where there was a, whenever there was a storm, you can bet that he was going to get called in and have to fix this problem, okay, um, and so that was, that was a routine occurrence, so anyway, he was a real hard worker, and I always appreciated that, observed that, he had a bunch of friends that, uh, on the job, you know, so he had, um, different characters and stories he would tell about these guys, unbelievable, I've told some of them, but there was this one uh, person he would talk about a lot. Her name was Claudia. And Claudia was a black woman from 
Beachwood or Tom's River, New Jersey. I believe she lived in an area. Uh, now she she was a lineman. She was like one of the only female linemen that was um, employed by JCP. That was actually climbing poles and doing that hard work. And so she would do, he would always brag about it. Like she's a great worker, shows up on time. She, um, she'll work harder than, in, than most men that are out there. And she, boyfriend, girlfriend with, uh, with one, another employee. And, um, you know, they, she had all these kids. One of the things he would say, Claudia had, you think you had a problem. Uh, Claudia would, uh, she had all kinds of things on her plate. She had her kids had had kids and, um, some of the kids were born with, um, you know, the, their parents weren't around. I don't know if their parents were, um, had rough lives and gave their kids up, but she wound up raising the kids. Some of them were, um, into drugs and crime and stuff. And, and that was the story as it was told to me that they, she was raising some kids who were really, um, you know, like crack babies, I think he would have said. It's not my words, it's his. But she took care of these kids. She worked as a lineman, and she took care of, of all these kids. And all these kids, and they had medical concerns and things that, um, special needs and all that stuff. And it was miraculous. He always tooted her horn. You often talk about how special a person she was and, and all the stuff that she would put up with. And, and um, you know, he li- we lived in a different world. We were white suburban family, you know. My parents grew up in upstate New, uh, um, North Jersey. So areas where, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the areas, to be real honest, the suburbs of New York City, let's say, North Jersey, Connecticut, etc. People lived, and from the time that they settled the United States, there were always people. They would, they would, uh, you know, the whites would go over here, the blacks would go over here, the Portuguese, Hispanics would be over here. I've talked about about that before. Where my remember my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, hell of a guy, um, Charles Charles Oberst. He would tell me, like, yeah, well, you know, on this street, mostly Scotch-Irish. On the next street, it's all um, German. And then, uh, you know, the next street, it's all Portuguese. And, and then, you know, other nationalities, you know. And um, it's no secret. People kind of stick to their themselves, stick to their comfort zone. And that's a, pro, that's a you know, tribalism. It's, you know, people sorting themselves out. This is where I belong, that sort of thing. America is supposed to destroy that whole notion. But we're, we made progress. But there are people that would argue that we have not made as much progress as we should have. Um, uh, you know, case in point, all the stuff that's going on right now. Some people say, oh, there's no systemic racism. I think that's be a little too hasty. You have to support that with some facts. But there have been strides that have been made, and I think most people realize that, uh, you know, people are people, and we need to be kind and accepting of everyone, and that we need to stick together, or we're all screwed here. Anyway, 
I don't know if that even belongs in this podcast, but it's a thought that I had and a reality. But Claudia, so oh, so my father, uh, you come home to our suburban house, um, you know, our nice little sleepy community, got a bunch of lakes there, and a uh, great place to grow up in New Jersey, coastal Jersey, right on the bay, right by the ocean, just awesome, you know, we never... I always had a roof over my head. We always had two cars in the driveway. We had a pool in the backyard. It was a good life. And my parents both worked hard to get us there. Um, but Claudia lived a different story. Now, she made a decent living and had benefits and stuff with with uh, the power company as a lineman. But um, she had, you know, she's raising her kids' kids and, and other kids and taking people in and doing all this stuff. Was really active in her church, was... Um, but was which is doing so much for so many people and taking on jobs that were you know just she had so much on her plate anyway getting to my you know my point in the story my father received a call recently somebody found my dad somehow in upstate new york living their little country existence and my father as i said he's had some health concerns um, short-term memories and what it could be, but he's strong and he's, you know, he's living, but he hasn't talked to Claudia or anybody, as far as I know, in probably, tw- I don't know, 20 years, 20, 25 years, maybe he's been retired for a while now, he retired at 55, I think. Or 57, something like that. Stay a couple more years. <clears throat> so we retired at 55, maybe 60. He's 75 now, so at least 15 years. He's been... He hasn't been working. And he hasn't had contact. He's not the guy that, like, you know, gets together and goes to family reunions. That's not Mike Oberst, you know. Uh, He's not the guy that keeps in touch with old work friends. But I think that he should. He's definitely the type of guy that should. Because he's a hell of a person. And he has so many stories about these people. I know he appreciated them. But when he left work, he left those people behind. And they left him, too. You know, they had their lives and and all that shit. So, um, everybody's got their own road to hell. But my father... Moved up to upstate New York, and that was his finish line. I don't even think he had any kind of retirement party or anything. He wanted to sell the house and cash out and go live on upstate New York and do the things that he wanted to do. And it was my observation that get Peter, you can go. It was my observation that it was a matter of years, handful of years before he was like, "All right, I don't, I, I don't know." He never, never admitted it, but I think he's bored out of his mind in retirement, and probably like, like many people are reporting now, they remember their work years fondly, and they remember all those struggles that I had mentioned previously, um, the, the challenges that I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that they had to rise to meet every day. You know, they had to they had to solve these challenges, solve these problems. 
and that would that's what passed the time and and they probably bitched every step of the way about these things but lo and behold they served a human being they served a person well because it's it's it was part of the story all right so let me run in here and get a couple beers and I'll be right back out I mean, I'm back. Okay, so, uh, as I was saying, the stories that we create, that we live, are essentially the people. They involve the people in our lives and the goings-on and our work and the occurrences that manifest, um, the challenges that are present present to us, right? And are solving those problems. Those are the stories that we that, that that's our life. That's a chapter in your book, my friend. And we complain about it. And yes, sometimes those stories. Shit, I, I wish I didn't have to live that chapter. I wish I didn't have to write it. I'd like to unwrite that chapter. I'd like to write something different. Well, you can once you've solved in your in your in our solving a problem, we have a way, you know, the 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 dialogue, the narrative. We can reframe the narrative. Not just, you know, and maybe change it. Maybe change the course of the story or the outcome of the story. Well, this happened and then I'm going to, you know, this so what what is what does that have to do with this my father getting contacted by an old work friend? I feel as though this person, Claudia, is somebody that that vividly colored his life. You know, somebody he, he talked to and he interacted with and he respected. And um, I think he was glad probably on some level that he you know, he felt fortunate that he didn't he had comparatively problem few problems you know here is a woman who's working at the end of the day she doesn't go home and just drink you know a six pack she you know and, and raise her kids and sit by the pool she raises a bunch of disadvantaged children who have been abandoned by their parents or maybe that they had been born addicted to some in narcotic or something, who knows, I mean, that was the suggestion, and this is a very long time ago, so I could be embellishing a little bit, but he really respected this, this person, and now he's being contacted by her, and um, I'm curious as to the content of the conversation, how much he remembers, I, I believe his long-term memory is, is better than his short-term, um, and I think he remembers her, remember the stories, and I'm sure he was happy to hear from her. But he's not the type who's going to keep the conversation going. And I, I guess with my father, I would hope that somebody that was, in, that was part of his narrative at a time in his life that when he was comparatively young and healthy and happy, and they, they rode together, you know, they... She was somebody he interacted with and worked with and cared about and, and honored. And I just would, 
hope that recollecting some of those stories would reactivate my father's memory and give him a little bit of life or a sense of, yeah, you know, I did that. I remember when I used to work and again, most people, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So they look back on those years and be like, oh yeah, you know, that was cool. Remember we did that one time, we fixed that pole, went down, or we had this experience or this crazy guy and how's he doing? You hear from him or her or whatever. I wonder what it what kind of memories this might have unearthed, reactivated for my father. I hope that it did. I'd like to hear more about the story. And the the greater lesson here is that uh, you know, friendship is extremely important. Now, I'm not the best pen pal. Once upon a time, me and my marine buddies, we were talking all the time, and still periodically, if somebody's in harm's way, I have a buddy who's, you know, has some health concerns. I have friends who've been divorced and changing jobs, and yeah, again, these problems, these challenges, everybody's got them. And to be there for somebody and to, you know, conjure up images of the old platoon or, um, even a college buddy or a grad school friend or somebody that I've known for years, a childhood friend, um, to be there for these people and just spend a little bit of time, have a phone conversation. I think it's, it's, it's extremely important to our well-being. And, of course, we've been estranged from many people that we had interacted with day-to-day. We haven't been able to because of the pandemic. And hopefully we're emerging from that. And maybe that's that little extra hardship, suffering, not being able to, um, to be in proximity to people, would make people, would prompt people to be, to reach out. You know, be like, wow, this has gotten really crazy now. Wow, I wonder how Mike Oberst is doing let me look. Because my, my dad was her boss, I believe. I wish I could remember some of the old stories. But that was the gist of it, you know. Here was this woman that was doing so much. Doing everything that any guy was doing. And more. And do would do it better. And didn't take no shit from anybody. And raised all these kids. And had a tough lot in life, but she was faithful and she was kind and she did her best to help people, you know. I know a lot of people in my time that have been just wonderful human beings and same thing, examples, wow, that person, remember, he or she had this on their plate and they they got out of it this way, they negotiated that obstacle in this way and they, they, they ultimately succeeded and I'm glad I, I remember those days, yeah. You know, that's kind of what I'm trying to get back to with the DDIP reunion, there are people that are, you know, who are the people in your neighborhood, the people that you meet when you're walking down the street, the people that you meet each day, what kind of impact are they making, Uh, what kind of impact are you making, you know, and so I guess I'm, um, I'm thankful to hear about this, and I'm, I'm shocked also that somebody would contact my father because he's such a, um, kind of a recluse. 
I think that he is um, and has been depressed. I think that um, he's not a very communicative person, and when it comes to his emotions and his, he's a big, big time dreamer. Uh, I remember one time years and years ago, and I said I wanted to do something, or I, this is what you know, and my, it was an ambition of mine or whatever, and, and somebody said. Wow, you'll never do that. And my father said, yeah, "Don't tell him. Don't tell him he can't what he can't do. You know, all we have are our dreams." And uh, you know that stuck with me. That he encouraged that. That he almost took an offense, a personal offense to that, because that's something that maybe somebody told him about himself. You can never do this. This is your limitation. You know. And so he did want the world. He wanted us to go after things. He wanted us to strive for for excellence and opportunity and and have all the things we always ever wanted. And I have tremendous uh, memories of growing up. Um, you know, my parents provided a lot of great opportunities for us and we had some wonderful years together. And, and it, it's it's that interesting thing that, that continues to intrigue me, you know, is that circle of life where, wow, I remember we did all that. Whenever I come home from the Marine Corps, we'd have huge feasts and, you know, drink beer and wine at the table until they were laughing our asses off, telling stories, maybe the same stories over and again and so on and so forth. And we've had so many great times up in the mountains, hiking, you know, talking, It's, uh, I had some great parents, you know, that did the best for me. So, you know, there are some people that you run across who, you know, I'm talking about retirement again. I mentioned yesterday in my podcast is that there was a grumpy old man who was just miserable about everything and he's watching too much news on television and he's just angry about everything. And it's because he stopped. Like, he placed himself on pause. Didn't realize it, but when he retired, he placed himself on pause. And then life, just there just was no action in it. Now, you don't need to be climbing uh, telephone poles and fixing electrical systems. You don't need to be building houses anymore, but you need to do something. If not, you're fucked. Your, your worst your worst days are ahead. You're already getting old. You're going to get tired. You're going to get sick. You're going to be slowing down physically and mentally. And so, is there anything that we can do to prevent that? And I think you just got to keep moving. Moving in some way. And I said, there's a fraction of people that I know, who percentage, who are doing retirement right. But there's a lot of folks who, you know, um, if they really think about it, their, you know, their best days are behind them. And maybe that's what retirement is. You know, it doesn't seem like that. Now it's positioned as, oh, you're worst. Now you can do whatever you want to do. You saved your money and now you can just, what do you do? Consume things? You sit around and eat, sit around the couch and watch TV, go to doctor's offices. I had a guy tell me, uh, you know. I told you the story. He um, basically said, literally said, that um, 
He has more doctors than friends at this point. That's terrible, you know? Losing mobility, losing motivation, losing faith, losing that life force, you know? I had somebody tell me this afternoon, again, you know, how miserable life is. And when I retired, I had a, such a great work life, and I worked with kids with special needs, and I did this and did that. Now everything's changed. My church has uh, changed, and I don't go there anymore. And, and my, you know, I did this and that, and I used to have dances at fire halls. And, you know, I, this is... You know, what's changed is you, right? You've declined. You've slowed down. Uh, life, the world has changed, certainly, and it's going to change more. I don't know how we keep up with it. I'm sure there are already things at 46 that, that I find abrasive, whether it's music or, you know, the way people think and act. I can see why people have these observations and think, wow, you know, my, my parents have me doing this. I was working a paper route when I was this age and I was, you know, you know, they, they cancel football practice if it rains anymore. I said something about the fields getting a little bit tore up or just bullshit like that where I'm like, wow, used to be this way, used to be better, used to be, you know, what I like and now everything is, is is changing. And so, you know, add 30 years on to that and you're 70 something years old, 45, 55, 65, 75. Now I'm 30, 30 years on my father's age. And, you know, I'm tired and I'm, uh, I got more money than I do time or I got more, I got money and I got time but my kids aren't around, so all those things I used to complain about, the stresses and cleaning up after kids and all the stuff that, you know, now that life has changed. It's me and my wife and our, whom I love, but, you know what I mean? This is, you can see it. At midlife, you've seen enough. You've experienced being young, and you see what's coming, which is the years progressing and time moving faster, and you're getting older, and you see your inevitable decline and demise. That's how that's coming for everybody. Uh, but again, we look, we we like to position retirement as like this. Oh, great! Now I'm going to buy this house. It's just going to be one floor, and I'm just going to walk around. And you know, I don't know. In my spare time, I'll, I'll exercise and I'll play cards with the girls, and and I'll um, I'll spend time with my grandkids, and I'll, maybe I'll volunteer some time, and. Uh, you know, we'll go and we'll travel and well, what happens, you know, a pandemic happens or somebody gets sick or whatever, you know, the world changes in a way that you can't cope with. That's why you got to keep plugging away. You got to keep moving and comparatively, you know, you, you're, you're not going to move as fast as you were when you're in the prime of your life, but you got to keep moving. Moss can't grow on a rolling stone. So I really hope, I hope to hear more about this exchange that my father had with his uh, former co-worker. And it makes me think, you know, considering all the other interactions that I have with wonderful people and, you know, the things that we talk about, um, what do we talk about today? Let's talk, let me think, just spitballing 
things that I talked about this week. I talked about horticulture and people planning things for, for the spring. I talked uh, to somebody about you know, retirement and investing. And uh, you know, I talked about, uh, I had some dealings with uh, a power washer who came out to the house and did some work and some goals that we have for the house and, and the office. And uh, dealt with insurance companies and I, I dealt with bankers and sat down and talked with somebody about our you know, refinancing and had a stress with that and, you know, had a mild argument with my wife about particulars in that and our perspective of like, I, I don't want to be little things that would normally bother you that you just get pissed, you know, be in your bonnet over and you're like, I'm going to be angry about this. I don't want to be angry about things. I don't want to be shaken by situations. I would much rather just deal and, you know, not be so emotionally responsive to situations and be able to just kind of like, okay, that's happening again. Okay, we've seen this before. Remember last time we really uh, stressed out about that and sweated the small shit? I'm not going to fall for that this time. I'm not going to fall for the old banana in the tailpipe. Fuck that, you know? Life goes on. Talked to somebody this morning about, you know, she said that I should be a TikTok personality. I need to get on there because I'm an interesting character. Play my ukulele, do my wood carving, drop chiropractic knowledge. Talked to students today and said, hey, thanks, Dr. Rowe, for being a great professor. You know, being such a great teacher. Warms my heart care for these people, want to help them. So, who are the people in your neighborhood? You know, who are the people you interact with every day that, you know, the relationships that you have, you're taking for granted, and, you know, you count yourself fortunate if that person uh, tries to contact you 20, 30 years later and says, hey, Aaron, remember, uh, you know, Dr. O, how are you? You know what I mean? You know, I have people who come in who used to uh, treat with a guy named Dr. Labate, who's passed a few years back, probably more than a few years back. But they remember Dr. Labate. Oh, Dr. Labate would do this, and he was in here, and oh yeah, I started with Labate years ago, and da 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 da. And um, you know, they remember this. They remember those days. And, you know, oh, Dr. Lebe, yeah, I know he had this going on. And, oh, and his wife, and uh, he had two kids. And uh, they like to see them at the diners periodically. And what are they doing now? So what are you going to have going on years later? You know, what are you doing that's of substance? And do you want to be one of these people that just goes down to Florida and, you know, buy some uh, little fucking, you know, rancher with a screen porch on the back with a pool in the backyard and just fucking drink martinis and if that's what you want to do then do it what is this kid doing where's your helmet penis the fuck is that all about kids right in the middle of the road alright so uh yeah you know, that's what I got going on. I, the moral of the story is, mind your friends, you know, they're really important. And uh, who's going to reach out to you years later? 
will you be there to receive that call? And how will you respond? You know, I, I, I almost imagine my father, if he can remember her, I would love, because it's hard to get a rise out of the guy. I call him and he's like, hey, hey son, how are you? How's work? How's business? How's the kids? Doing any wood carving? Done. That's it. Never asks if I want to come up. Never asks if he, he can come down. It's like he doesn't want to bother you sort of thing. I don't know what it is. But remember the aforementioned emotion, lacking apparent emotion or interest, you know. Maybe if he or I or anybody would show interest in the people and the things that really matter in life, if they would not be um, so remiss, so reluctant, so um, reluctant to reach out and tell people how they feel and how they value others. Maybe those people, you could remain in contact and you can have, you can nourish those relationships. I think that that is a wonderful thing. You know, it's really something important that we can all, um, we can all do, we should do. Uh, you know, at the end of a long week, I don't feel like doing shit or talking to anybody. There are some exceptions to that, but I don't think that's a good thing. So I'm, I'm acknowledging the uh, you know what I'm tech what I'm talking about with my father right now and his work friends, and I'm imagining my life and the lives of others. So many people that care about that you know people care about them, but they're not um, they're not tending to those relationships and not tending to their lives the way that um, they could so that they can keep the home fires burning. You understand what I'm saying? All right, I'm done. Have a great weekend, turds. <laughs>